Hello, welcome to FinTech Impact. I'm your host, Jason Pereira. Today on the show, we have a repeat guest. A repeat guest by the name of Aaron Klein, the co-founder and CEO of Nitrogen Wealth. Now, in case you go looking for nitrogen, they changed their name recently from Riskalyze. And Aaron was back on, was on back in April of 2019. So it's been a while and he's been up to quite a lot. So I was happy to catch up with them and see what's new and exciting. And with that, here's my interview with Aaron. Aaron, thanks for taking the time. Hey, great to be with you, Jason. Good. Thank you. Fresh on the heels of, uh, of fearless investing. So I uh, got you. Your, your, all your energy level is being built up for this moment, right? <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, slept in, slept in, you know, a good solid day after that, just to recoup. But there you go. I would think so. All right. Aaron Klein of Nitrogen. Tell us about Nitrogen. Yeah, well, I you mentioned we changed our name from Riskalyze, and it is, it's been an amazing journey for the last uh, over a decade, 12 and a half years that we've been in business since I helped to co-found the company back then. And uh, what's really interesting, it, we were about two years in when we launched our product, when we launched Riskalyze for advisors. And Riskalyze uh, was the company, the product was named after that first workflow that we built, the idea of working with and capturing how much risk somebody was comfortable with, how much risk they wanted, you know, and putting a risk number from one to 99 on that. And then matching that up with the amount of risk that was in their investment portfolio and putting a risk number of one to 99 on that and being able to demonstrate, hey, you know, there's a lot of, frankly, people with a sleep at the switch advisors out there who invest like themselves or just use these qualitative terms like, you know, conservative, moderate, and aggressive and really don't pay good attention to what their clients want and what their clients are comfortable with. And they just put them in portfolios that they and their vaunted wisdom think that the client should be invested in. And a lot of times that creates a big mismatch and, and, and a big misalignment. And of course, it ends up hurting the investor because the investor is, you know, the investor who is a risk 42 uh, looks at, at their risk 91 portfolio bouncing up and down in a, in a choppy market and starts getting really stressed out and really scared and sells the worst possible time when markets are down. And, and then uh, waits until markets have recovered, which means they've gone back up already. And that's when they want to buy back in at the high. So ultimately, the data says, gosh, if we can get people to invest long term, they're going to do well. So mm -hmm. let's understand who they are as investors. Let's get their portfolios aligned with that. That was the whole thesis with where we started as Riskalyze. We built that workflow. We named the company after it. And then we embarked on this decade of building the growth platform for wealth management firms. We, we rapidly realized that like people were adopting the risk number because it was the means to the end of driving growth for wealth management firms. And so we embarked on this decade of building the growth platform for wealth management firms. And here we are uh, a decade or so later. And it's, it's pretty cool because we've at the end of the day, what we really built is an end-to-end -end platform that helps a wealth management firm take a lead and turn that into a meeting, take a meeting and turn that into a valued client, and then take a valued client and really turn that into a referral champion for the firm. And that's really how the growth flywheel starts spinning for a lot of these wealth management firms. All right. We're definitely going to dive into that entire journey of basically that client, the client journey, that is. But I mean, uh, yeah, quite the ride. <laughs> it's Indeed. Yeah, indeed. And it's it's funny because, you know, you go back to one of the major issues with the industry, I'll say, is, is the is the lack of of structure or process and, yeah. and science to basically what it is we do, advisors doing recommendations. And, you know, you still look at the risk, the, you know, you know, I can hear, you know, we can debate whose questioner is better or whatever. I get these debates all the time. And frankly, that's, that's the fact that you adopted one that has proven that's got some academic backing is the first step. Like you got yep. that, you're great. You've already done more than the majority. 
And unfortunately, far too few just basically, like you said, well, this is how I would invest. And then that's, that's, but that's not the human being. So in a lot of ways, what you're doing, it's not just the science of basically trying to identify what the risk is behind a client, but it's also the just respecting who they are as an individual. Yeah, And, and, and I think that's also a bit of harnessing their behavioral science between how they're going to react to things, right? I I remember one advisor who came aboard with us early, early on said, called me up and just, and just told me the story. He said, Hey, I put my, I I did my own risk number and I was like a 52. And then I plugged my own portfolio in and it was a 51. And I'm like, all right, I got it going on. Like I know what I'm doing. He said, and then I, I plugged all of my client portfolios in and they ranged from 40 to 60. And, and then I started actually going through my client reviews and gradually having my clients kind of do their own risk number, right? And pretty quickly, the pattern became clear. I was very good at figuring out which of my clients were more conservative than I was or more wanted more risk than, than I was willing to take, okay? Mm-hmm. But I was anchoring them to me. I was, you know, the, the clients came back from the 20s to the 80s, and I had all their portfolios from the 40s to the 60s because I was anchoring to my 51. And now I I understand why my conservative clients still feel scared and my aggressive clients still feel frustrated that they're not getting the returns they feel like they should get. Now I'm anchoring them to them. And when you can anchor somebody to themselves, you're going to get better behavior out of them as a client. It reminds me of a paper on the misguided beliefs of financial advisors. And what that paper found was in general that the things that they shouldn't be doing that are bad behaviors, like basically trading too much, or they're basically what they would have really found was they were investing for clients the way they were investing for themselves, right? It was always it was always their view of the universe that was put onto them as opposed to taking kind of a more objective approach. So yours was one of the tools that allows people to do that. And for that, that. Um, yeah. I'll make people a lot better. So all right, that was your starting point. Let's go through what you built. But I want to do it in the way you framed it, right? Specifically yeah. around the journey, right? So Let's talk about the lead. So how is it that your platform helps basically generate these leads? Well, we, we actually don't really do a ton of generating the lead, but we help turn the leads into meetings. Now, we do a little bit of lead generation because, yeah, you can, you can drop your, you know, you can drop a what is your risk number button, for example, onto your website, okay? And we'll hear advisors say, oh my gosh, that's the greatest lead generation tool I've, I've ever seen. I'm all of a sudden getting like real qualified active leads coming in. And really what that's doing, if we want to get really technical about it, is the lead is the person who's coming to your website, okay? And a lead who comes to your website and and does a little something like maybe downloads a white paper or signs up for your newsletter or something like that, that is a very, the technical term for it in marketing speak is top of funnel lead, right? That is somebody who is not ready they're ready to maybe go on a first date with you. They are not ready to get married to you as an advisor, right? And so top of funnel lead, there's a lot of work that's likely going to need to happen for you to nurture that lead to the bottom of funnel and gradually maybe turn them into a meeting with you to consider bringing, coming aboard your firm with you as their financial advisor. What, what Nitrogen tends to do, though, is actually take that that top of funnel lead and massively accelerate how fast somebody converts into a meeting because it creates intrigue, right? I, I First of all, I have an opportunity to get something of value. What is my risk number? I'm curious. I don't know. So I go through that process. By the way, to do a risk number, you have to put a real dollar amount into the, um, you know, into the software because it's all quantitative and objective and it's based on real dollar amounts that are relevant to you. 
And uh-huh. so you have to put a dollar amount of the software. So that also helps to qualify. Like people who put in $10 are not a real lead. And so ultimately it really accelerates somebody going through that process saying, oh, I'm a risk 42. Huh, I wonder what my portfolio is. I've always felt a little bit nervous about my portfolio. This advisor is, is offering a meeting where I can send him or her my statement and they'll do the analysis work and show me whether or not my the risk number of my portfolio is in alignment with who I am as an investor. That's really interesting. And that's kind of how it accelerates that lead to meeting conversion. And lead to meeting conversion is a big part of the growth challenge for a lot of these firms. And so so that's that's that first step. Yeah, it's a common refrain in, in podcast episodes having to do with lead generation where there's there's companies out there who are really good at getting you to generate those leads, but oftentimes the advisors just don't have the tools or the mindset or the effort to basically get the hooks in and continue to provide value to them in advance to kind of get them. You said, you know, one, they want willing to date, but they're not willing to get married. How do you get them to the altar, right? And, you know, you got to c- continuously demonstrate value in order to actually resonate with them. So the fact that you built something to deal with, you know, you haven't, you're not worried about the SEO piece. There's, you know, there's a lot of people out yep. there. You're not worried about the content marketing piece because there's right. a lot of solutions out there. But the entire, once I got them, how do I nurture them and actually convert them? That's uh, That's not a small task. Yeah, for sure. And it's, it's kind of fascinating because I feel like sometimes people want their software to do everything for them. And I'm a big believer that if software claims to do everything for you, it's probably going to do, it's going to be effective at none of it. That's the reality. But I, I, I kind of jokingly say, you know, I serve on the board of Snappy Kraken, which is one of the marketing automation companies in the space. And I, and I joke with Robert Sophia, the uh, CEO of that company. I'm like, we, we should really just refer are marginally disaffected customers to each other because they have exactly the opposite problems. So his slightly disaffected customers say, I'm really thrilled with all the leads that are coming in. I just don't know what to do with all of these people. And then, you know, our slightly disaffected customers go, oh, wow, like I've, I've, I've had three at-bats in the last three months and I've won all of them because of nitrogen. I just sure wish they would actually generate some leads for me. And I'm like, that, that's, that's not what we do, you know? So we just need to introduce these, these people to the other company or something and it'll probably work out just fine. Well, it's, like, it's a common refrain. I like to refer to it as the wish for the one ring. Like, you know, there is no one ring yes. to rule all. Like at the end of the day, they're, the, the more, you're right, the more it does, the more likely it's to be crappy. And this is why I always make the joke of like, it's the industry's problem with the crappy CRN problem where you'll have a software that's designed to do one thing and then someone's like, oh, but if I could put my notes in here and not use my CRN, that'd be great. And then you have all these portfolio management softwares that have these crappy CRMs built into them that are on that are not used and unmaintained. Right. Oh, yeah. So knowing what you are is vital. So good on you for totally. knowing. All right. So you help get that meeting. You also said you can grease the wheels on making that meeting become a client. So how do you help yeah. with yeah, well, that that's definitely around. That's where we get into the nitty gritty of helping advisors tell their story, right? And and I, you know, I think that that stems from a making sure that we've fully understood where somebody's at in terms of risk, not just at this stage how much risk they want to take, but also how much risk they need to take in order to reach their goals. Now we have we have advisors who are very diehard, comprehensive financial planners. Okay, they're going to use a money guide or an e money to really dive deep into that. But we have many of those diehard financial planners who rightly charge a significant fee in order to do that extensive, comprehensive financial planning. It takes a lot of time and a lot of effort to do it. So, uh, and then we had a lot of advisors we served that never really touched financial planning. They just kind of said, listen, we're going to take your assets. We're going to get you set up in alignment with where you need to go and, and what you're comfortable with. And they didn't really talk that much about where that would take that client in the future. 
you can argue back and forth. I'm kind of agnostic on what it, what approach is best. I have my opinions, but like that's that's not my job. Yeah. But but what we did is we ended up building a tool inside of the product that we call Retirement Maps, which is really a 60 second way to say, hey, if if Jason has told us that he's a risk 48, is a risk 48 with his amount of money sufficient to get him to the retirement goal that he's articulated here? And you can answer that question in like 60 seconds. Now, what I love about it is, is for the advisors that were not doing any comprehensive financial planning, all of a sudden they're exposing the fact that we need to be thinking long-term for this client and the client might have a long-term problem. And they're talking about it in a way that hopefully is leading them to be a little bit more uh, holistic in terms of how they're thinking about financial planning for their clients, which I think is a good thing. But the other flip of the coin is that it's also really helping our diehard financial planners because it whets the appetite for going and doing the deep comprehensive financial planning. Because what happens is they get in there, and they go, okay, good, I'm green. But what happens if we send Johnny to Harvard? Like, what does that do? And, and what happens if this happens? And how about social security? And what about that? And what about this? And so as they ask those questions, that's where the advisor can say, well, that's why I do comprehensive financial planning. It has this fee, but this is why it's so valuable. And so it kind of whets the appetite for that. So, so anyway, all that to be said, figuring out how much risk they want, how much risk they need. And then we've obviously built full-blown proposal capabilities with the ability for you to actually propose how to invest the client in alignment with how much risk they want and need. And that really helps the advisor to tell their story of where the client is at right now and where they need to get to and how to get there. And by I'm very much a believer that when you can put data and analytics on the screen, it just has so much more credibility than the old advisor way of just trying to build trust with image, right? And we've all seen it. I used to joke about that quintessential advisor who had the gleaming photo of their family on the credenza behind them. Big, what do you mean? If they didn't have a family, they just hire one to be in the photos on the gleaming credenza behind them, right? And, and you know, it was about the car that they drove and the image that they portrayed and all this kind of stuff. And particularly, you know, I mean, we were talking about this pre-COVID, but particularly in the post-COVID era, there's got to be a better way to like build trust with people. And I would argue it's all about data. It's all about analytics. It's all about telling your story in a way that is credible and that is not just a matter of opinion. It's a matter of math. So when you can put up on the screen the ability to say, look, we're going to take your current portfolio and we're going to look at it through this lens and look at it with these analytics. And we're going to compare that to what we could do. And in my mind, there's a few different dimensions that are important. Risk is one of them, for sure. But, you know, we've done a couple of other things. We, we created a metric called GPA. It's really just a much more understandable sharp ratio. Like how much return efficiency are we getting for the amount of risk we're taking in this portfolio? And it's really powerful to be able to think about it in GPA terms and say, this is a 4.0 portfolio. This is a 3.2 portfolio. Okay, they might have the same risk number, but this one is going to give you more return efficiency for the amount of risk that you're taking. I think that's a great way to talk about it. The other thing is just being able to look at things through the lens of obviously expense ratios, fees, and tax drag on a portfolio. So we built the analytics to be able to illustrate that as part of the platform as well. So, you know, I like to say we don't tell advisors how to advise their clients. We don't tell them what investments they should put into a portfolio or or how to put together that kind of plan. We just help them tell their story and we help their clients see and understand many of the things they've been telling them for years. 
Yeah. And I will say, you kind of hit on some themes that I've been repeating and speaking about publicly about in the past. It's not just about the analytics. It's, you use a couple of keywords, put it up on the screen, right? You know, one of the things that advisors have failed to on mass do is, is evolve the experience digitally. And, you know, they've gone from a world of producing paper printouts and stands to the client and walking through them to putting a PDF on screen and walking through that. Whereas, you know, what you've done with your tool set, and I, I will always commend you, like one of the things I think you've done incredibly well is you kind of taken a consumer approach to how the design and UX looks, which is incredibly approachable, right? Both to the advisors, but also when you put that in front of a client and it's interactive. And it's, it's not just about being able to do that, put that data up there and tell a story. It's being able to dynamically tell that story and show how it, you know, drag sliders across to show how things change and show the impact in a engaging way. Because frankly, like no one should be bored while going over this stuff. If <laughs> I totally agree. It w- listen, while I agree wholeheartedly with what you just said, and that has been, we have to catch ourselves sometimes because our design ethos First of all, like totally right. Like we felt like consumer oriented design was so important as a as a as a killer skill set for us in, in building the software. We like to say we build software that advisors love to use, but that more importantly, their clients completely understand when they look at it on the screen. As much as I believe in that and agree with that, and I think advisors should be in the business of flipping their screens around or sharing their screen on Zoom and like taking clients through that. I, it still shocks me. Like one of the most popular things we rolled out at Fearless a couple, you know, a week and a half ago, two weeks ago was a refreshed reports because that, that is, I mean, half a million reports generated over the last year in the product. Like it is, it is crazy to me, but that is somewhat the world we still live in and advisors want to have the deliverable to hand their clients. So we've had to say, you know what, we're going to give them equal footing with print and pixels. 100%. And I actually agree with that. I think it's, it is one thing they can't take the dynamic experience guided by an advisor away and take it home with them, but they can right. sure it's like take the the, you know, the the printout or the PDF as a reference to that. So yeah. it's, well, we got to do both, and we got to yeah. we got to be thinking about. I mean, you're you're so right that if all we're doing is putting a PDF up on the screen, we're really holding back from helping that prospective client or that current client really understand how actively we are thinking about and managing their financial future. And I, I totally think that's right. It's not a static world that we live in. So why are we showing it with static tools? Absolutely. Absolutely. So basically, okay, we already talked about that. We got sidetracked a bit. But let's also talk about client to referral. I mean, I think we already know yeah. the bottom line is you're creating these experiences, I think, which are basically like impressive to people beyond the, what they're expecting. So how are you greasing the wheels on that besides what we just talked about in terms of dynamic experience? <laughs> Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you do that dynamic experience, you win the client, you win the client with data, with analytics, with experience, and and they come aboard with you. The next mission is to make them so satisfied and engaged and excited to work with you that they become a referral champion for your firm. And one of the, there's a whole bunch of different layers to that. I mean, I think, I feel like you just touched on it a bit with experience, but here's one that, that I thought was kind of interesting. And we built this a little bit early on I want to say it was 2015. So we were a few years into having a product, but it was about 2015, 2016 that we rolled this out. It's a feature that I absolutely love. And we've just recently spent a bunch of effort and resources upgrading. It's called check-ins. And check-ins is like a very simple, basically client satisfaction survey kind of tool that it's two questions. And it's designed to work on phones because we want it to be as simple as possible. People get this email from your firm saying, hey, Jason, it's time to check in. You tap that open and it just it just says right there in the email, it says, hey, two quick questions for you. Number one, how are you feeling about the markets? Positive mm-hmm. or negative? And, and there's two big buttons there. And by the way, we're not trying to lead the witness. 
They're gray. The buttons are gray. Okay. So we're not trying to make one of them good or one of them bad or anything like that. We just want to really know. How do you feel? I want to click the red button. You want the green button. So you're yeah, good. exactly. So they're both gray buttons. Like it's easy. So you tap, you know, positive or negative there. And, and of course it just flips over to your web browser and pops up the second question. It says one more question for you, Jason. How are you feeling about your financial future? Confident or anxious? Okay. So you, you tap the that. Great. Done. Thank you so much. We do a little bit of content based on your answers to kind of help firm up either like calm you down if you're maybe getting a little too confident and excited and, and help your psychology if you're feeling a little beat down. But here's the most important thing that it does. It splits your clients into four groups of people. Okay. And let's think about those two questions for a quick second. So if you think about it, the people who answer positive and confident, sort of green, green, like they're, they're, they're feeling good. They're probably not at the top of your contact list. They're going to be fine till the next client review, you know, unless things change. And they're feeling pretty good. They're in good shape. The people who answer red green, they're negative about the markets, but they're confident about their financial future. You have done something pretty remarkable. The work that you have done has put them into a good place and a good mindset about their financial future, despite how they feel about the markets right now. That is a client you should be asking for a referral. Like that's a client that you should be following up with and saying, you know, is there anybody else who's a little bit nervous about the markets, but wants to feel confident about their financial future that I that, that you think I might be able to help? Like I'm, I, I'd be happy to, to help anybody you might want to refer. It's a great opportunity. On the flip side, the people who are red, red, they're just nervous and they're, and they're anxious. They've probably been watching a little too much CNBC on television. Like these are people that need to go on your contact list. You need to reach out and talk to them before you get to the next client review in three, four months. The really interesting group are the people who are green, red. They're positive about the markets. Maybe the markets are going up, but they're anxious about their financial future. Can I just be blunt? That is a huge signal. That client is about to leave you. Okay, they're going to be leaving in probably three to six months if you don't do something because they're basically saying the market seems fine, but I'm nervous that I'm not aligned with where I need to go. And yep. it's the advisor's opportunity to jump in there and level set with the client. I mean, maybe they're getting a little too excited about crypto or great GameStop or something like that. But like we need to level set and, and make sure that your plan is aligned, that your understanding of your plan is aligned with where you want to go. And it's an early warning system for that client who's about to leave. It makes a lot of sense. I mean, at the end of the day, if you're feeling good about the markets, but not about what you're really saying is that there's something with the experience that's broken, right? That's right. So experience is broken and not feeling good. And I, I do love the idea of that very quick two question pulse check, right? Yeah. Is, you know, it's not invasive. It's quick. It's simple. And it gives a lot of information as to basically where you should be spending your time. So that's a fantastic yeah. little tool. Yeah. And so we built a really cool dashboard that lets you sift and sort your clients by these buckets of actions that you take. And again, I feel like it just creates referral champions for a firm because if on the one hand, if I'm feeling really great about what they've done for me, yeah, I want to give them a referral. On the other hand, if they're proactively reaching out, it feels a little bit like magic. If they're proactively reaching out when I'm feeling nervous, that's a financial advisor who I feel is very attuned to who I am and what I'm trying to accomplish. And now I, I, I'm, I'm trending back towards confident about my financial future. And now I'm ready to, to be a referral champion as well. Fantastic. So, all right, that's kind of the entire journey, right? But I think there you we, go. we didn't touch on some of the interesting uh, value props. So, I mean, you look at your solution, you know, when you look at all the pieces that, that fit in, you got your risk, you got your, basically your lead gen management, you got your yeah. risk tolerance pieces, you got your, you got a bunch of engagement stuff. You also got a fair amount of technology around portfolio analytics and management of portfolios. Care, care to speak right. to that? Sure. And, you know, again, I, I feel like all of those capabilities 
largely get leveraged in that meeting to client, you know, mm-hmm. kind of phase. And so, yeah, I mean, I mean, we do everything in that 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 supports the creation of that portfolio, or sorry, that proposal for the prospective client, or frankly, the proposal to make some changes for an existing client. But you know, that ranges from uh, portfolio models. We provide the Nitrogen Partner Store, which provides access to a bunch of great asset managers who provide pre-built models that advisors can use and mix, match, and blend to create investment portfolios uh, and models for themselves. We do a lot of deep portfolio analytics and, and stats. So we've got like the full screening capabilities. So you can sift through the world's ETFs and mutual funds and, and investment strategies and options and kind of figure out some, some choices to solve particular problems for your clients. Uh, you can dive deep into the analytics behind portfolios. One firm that I talked to that uh, specializes in working with engineers. Now, that's an interesting and demanding and highly technical client base, right? And so they love leveraging our deep portfolio stats. They flip the screen around during that conversation because, for example, we have this really cool visualization in there of diversification, of correlation and anti-correlation in a portfolio. And they'll, they'll say, I just love it because basically, by the way, we used to have this as green and red, but with the number of advisors who are colorblind, it shifted to blue and purple so that it was actually visible to people. So I would not think of what you expect. I know, I know we, 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 we learn fast, but, but basically like blue is the, is the stuff that is correlated with each other. And purple is the stuff that is anti-correlated in this diagram, connecting all the different securities and investments in your portfolio. And the firm that I was talking with who serves engineers, they said, oh my gosh, we love this so much. Cause we flipped the screen around, we pull up their current portfolio and it's just a big mass of blue. Like there's actually no diversification. Yeah. They've got 200 securities, but if they've got no diversification from these securities, then we pull up our portfolio, which maybe has 18 or 20 low-cost ETFs or mutual funds or whatever, and they can see how they're actually getting some diversification from the strategy that we're putting into place. And they understand how our risk 60 portfolio is actually way better for them than their risk 60 portfolio. And um, that's pretty cool. So um, so yeah, all of that deep portfolio stats and analytics, again, to help advisors tell their story and uh, and frankly, do research and build portfolios for those that are pro- portfolio constructors themselves. Excellent. One use case we haven't touched upon, and it's everyone's yeah. favorite use case, compliance. <laughs> oh, yeah. Talk to me about how you support compliance. Yeah, well, I mean, that's a great, that's a great question. And I think the first question to kind of step back and ask is, well, what, what size of firm are we talking about? Because bottom line is, is that we, we don't actually sell it for this purpose, but a, a solo advisor who's just a solo practitioner in their office is going to be in way better shape from a compliance documentation perspective when they're leveraging nitrogen in their day-to-day workflows, because guess what? They are documenting how much risk the client wants to take and documenting how much risk the client needs to take and documenting the agreement with the client on how much risk they should take. And when you document all of those things, it makes it really difficult for somebody to come in and be a Monday morning quarterback and say, oh, you put me into portfolios that were too risky for me and sue you down the road. That's something very unfair that happens to to some financial advisors. And knock on wood, I've had several advisors whisper to me only a small handful that they that they had arbitrations, but they've won every single one of them. Most arbitrations never end up getting filed because what we encourage advisors to do and what they do is like if you ever have a plaintiff's attorney contact you, 
You just say, hey, listen, I'm going to do something crazy. I'm going to send you all of the nitrogen reports that I used, you know, that your client filled out to help me figure out the portfolio. I'm just going to send it to you right now. When you send a plaintiff's attorney that your client said they wanted to be a risk 57, and then you put them into a portfolio that was a risk 56, it's pretty, most of those plaintiff's attorneys never file because they, they understand immediately that they've got no case there. So it's a very, very interesting way to frankly do compliance at even the solo practitioner level. Now for larger firms, we do have these enterprise compliance capabilities we built, which is really about helping compliance departments be able to be on the same page with their advisors and speak the same language as their advisors, because it's a lot easier for them to sift through millions of accounts and say, call you up and say, hey, Jason, question, this client of yours, the account's a risk 82, but it's, it's documented as a conservative account with the custodian, like, can we talk about the mismatch there and figure out what's going on? Is this tax transition or do we actually need to update the documentation on the account? So that's that's a bit of what we help with big data, help enterprises to kind of sift out of their book of business with larger firms. Yep. Now, the first lesson of anyone ever going to court is it's not what you say happened. It's what you can support with documentation that matters. Exactly. Exactly. And what's even what's so great about that? I mean, it is really funny, by the way, I've had chief compliance officers call me and say, I, just tell me a secret. Like, how do you have my advisors wanting to use a compliance tool? And and I, I I always laugh and I say, they don't see it as a compliance tool. They see it as a great growth tool. It just happens to make them a lot better documented in terms of compliance. And that's just a great byproduct of when you're trying to do the right things for your clients, good things will happen. Hey, that is no small feat. Okay, let's just be clear. Yeah. You're getting advisors <laughs> to use a, a compliance tool. Yeah, it's... it's oof. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is a rare, rare, rare treat that you basically created there. But I there understand because it's not a compliance tool with them, right? Yeah. It is right. a tool for basically landing and servicing the client. And compliance is built into the experience, which is the way we should be doing things. Right. Absolutely. And, you know, again, when people are trying to do the right things for their clients anyway, if you can natively and kind of passively document that, they're just going to be in a better place. And I suppose conversely, if they're trying to do the, the wrong thing for their client, it's going to passively document that uh, they're not an advisor that should be an advisor anymore, which I'm, I'm also kind of good with that point of view in the world as well. Absolutely. All right. So this is quite the journey. I mean, like, tell me, I don't think you necessarily set out to build all this from day one. Talk to me about, you know, what surprised you about the direction you've headed from the beginning until now? That's a great question. A lot of this was in our viewpoint back in the early days, just saying we very quickly, I mean, I, I, to, to speak very bluntly, like in the very, very early days, I did kind of look at this risk thing and go, this has got to be really valuable to individual advisors as a compliance tool and a business protection tool. And that fell flat on its face. Like very, very quickly, I learned that individual advisors are just not going to slap the credit card down and buy something to protect themselves against a problem that might happen to them tomorrow. And also, I, I think that there's a little bit of something around advisor self-image. Like they can't really like even grasp the idea that their client might sue them. They're just like, my clients love me. Like that was, wrong. Like, come on. Yeah, yeah. My clients love me. Like that would never be a problem for me. So I, I very early on kind of kind of realized that the reason that people were buying it was not what I was articulating. It was what they saw in the product, which was growth. Like risk is a means to the end of growth. If I can get my clients 
better invested in alignment with who they are. They're going to refer me more. They're going to be more satisfied clients. And it's going to help me bring the client aboard in the first place because I'm using data and analytics to build rapport and build trust. And so pretty quickly, as soon as we were uh, like kind of aligned in that direction, it became fairly obvious to us, like what are some of the things we could do to accelerate that, that growth formula, that growth flywheel? And so, you know, we've been on that journey for a bit. Here's what did surprise me. I did think... I, you know, I was kind of like sitting back a student of many of the of the larger companies in the space and kind of how they'd grown to scale. And pretty much all of them, with a few exceptions, had become asset platforms that manage assets, did, did you know, portfolio accounting, reporting, billing, those kinds of things. And or TAMPS actually did the asset management and, and did the trading and the and, and all of that stuff for the advisor as well. We underwent a bit of a strategic process in about a year and a half, two years ago. And I started raising the question, like, is that the right path for us? Like, the world has changed a lot. Mark Andreessen says it this way, software is eating the world. Okay. Is there a place for us to really be able to serve and grow, you know, to grow and serve our our industry in a way where we don't necessarily have to swim over into this bloody ocean of competition that exists for the asset platforms and the TAMPs. But, you know, frankly, I, I started looking at the outside world a little bit and we realized that that there was this very, very uh, broad path for this solution that I like to say is in the middle. Okay, what do I mean by that? Well, there's the marketing. Every every Let's look to the outside world's SaaS software companies in that whole industry. Everybody has a marketing automation tool. Uh, out there, it's, it's often tools like HubSpot or Marketo or things like that. Everybody's got a CRM. In the outside world, it's always Salesforce, okay? Everybody's got like a system of record. In the outside world, it's ERP, okay? Yeah. We tend to call them in, in our world, portfolio management or accounting or asset platforms or whatever. But everybody's got like an ERP as their system of record. In the middle are these things that I'll kind of call a growth platform, but it's like got two sides of the coin. And on the one side is, what is my consistent process to bring new clients aboard? A lot of times they'll call it a sales enablement tool in the outside world. And the flip side of the coin is, what is my, what is, how do I make sure that my clients are successful? Like client success, customer success tools. And so the big names out there are like sales loft and outreach. And then on the client success side to tango and gain site. And oh, that's like a $17 billion industry out there in SaaS software land. And I just looked at that and said, you know what? I think that we've got plenty of running room to build the definitive growth platform for wealth management firms that really fits into that two sides of the coin of, of solving both giving you a consistent process to drive growth and giving you a consistent process to drive retention and satisfaction and referrals. And when you do that, I think it's really, really powerful. So what surprised me was that we're not, we're not going in the direction of being an asset platform. We're not going in the direction of being a TAMP. Frankly, I thought that we'd kind of end up there over time. And it feels like the best way to actually get to where the industry needs to go is to be a, a best of breed software provider focused on that, that growth platform vision. Because frankly, top tier wealth management firms need to use top tier best of breed technology. You cannot build a first rate firm with second rate technology that's kind of bundled in for free with the asset platform that you get. Nobody's done it yet. And I really am a, am a big believer that that's true. And it's such an interesting channel conflict, right? Because like being a asset manager or TAMP and then having the software layered over top is kind of the, the thing you get for free on top of it or the thing they resell to third parties who aren't using that. Right. 
it creates so much channel conflict and split of attention because those are two really different distinct businesses, right? From a software business. Right. right. So again, knowing what you are and knowing what you're not is important. Now, don't get me wrong. There was an opportunity. They went after it. They became huge because of it. But, you know, it also it's led them to bundle a bunch of things together that may or may not work well together. Well, uh, and you have to ask yourself, like, you know, again, technology, great technology takes very, very focused investment. Great technology takes ongoing investment. You can't. So it, it doesn't really work to have a second job in this kind of business. It really doesn't because what ends up happening is the second job never gets attention, never gets love, never gets focus. And as a result, you're getting outrun very, very quickly by people who are laser focused on solving that problem. And I feel like that's our distinctive advantage. Whenever somebody says, oh, are you really worried about all these different all-in-ones are kind of like buying up second-rate competitors of yours and trying to bundle in them for free? I'm like, not really, because Anybody who's ever tried that comes running back to us going, yeah, it turns out like you can't build a first rate wealth management firm with second rate technology. Can't no, do it. And in all honesty, to be fair, I think a lot of the bigger players that existed in that space have been swallowed up by those larger companies. So now if you want to play the same game, you're playing with smaller marginal players, which may or may not be, don't get me wrong. There are some you know, yeah. younger or newer players who are fantastic, yes. but you know, they also, the advantage of what was happening before was these companies were coming with large user bases already. So it was, it was a conversion right. Right? right. Whereas that's not necessarily the case anymore. Yeah. And, and and to be clear, there have been there are definitely some solutions that have been acquired by the larger platforms that have done well. But if I could be blunt, they're typically the solutions that were already doing well before yeah. they were acquired. OK, this so like look at Redtail, like Orion's doing great with Redtail. Redtail was I already emailed Brian successful. 10 minutes ago. But yeah. <laughs> You know, I mean, look at look at Money Guide. Money Guide was wildly successful before Investnet bought it. It's still wildly successful today. Investnet has has added to it in in some good ways. So look at company, that's what you went you wanted. Like your growth that's right. At a point where it was cresting or potentially cresting, or you've reached you know mass adoption, the check is now significantly large enough, and you're like, okay, now yeah. Okay. I, so, so like, I, I, I do think I, it, it's not a matter of who owns it. It's a matter of what is the solution and is it working? Because just taking kind of something that didn't really work on its own and smashing it into an all-in-one doesn't actually make for a successful software solution. And it's too much, quite honestly. I'm, I'm a bigger yeah. believer that, you know, the modular play is probably the more best-in-class way. Now, don't get me wrong. It comes with its, its stresses of integrations and everything else that yeah. are... But there's a well, I, and I love that. I love that you point that out because, you know, I kind of look at that and say, well, that's on us. We have to do a really great job. If we truly believe in best to breed, it's on us to do a really great job to make sure that these things work really seamlessly for our clients. And I, I've been really, we've been very focused on integration for a long time. We've invested millions and millions of dollars into building integrations with many, many, many of the solutions in the industry. I'm really focused on pushing our team to the next level with those because I'm like, what really matters to me is seamless workflow integrations. What, what do I mean by that? Like, probably a year from now, I, I suspect we're going to have more cases where we have more deep linking into our application because why should you go to Redtail? And why shouldn't you be able to go to Redtail and say, oh, I want to talk to Jason about his portfolio and with one click be four clicks deep into nitrogen on Jason's portfolio and taking action on something right there? Like that should be easy to do. That that is it exactly. It's building that end-to-end button, uh, that end-to-end easy button. I don't have to open three systems. It just got done. That's right. Yep. So before we end it, we have three questions. I have three questions I ask everybody. Great. Uh, you 
probably don't remember your last answers, but I don't, I don't remember them either. So we're in the same footing. Um, <laughs> if you had one wish for something you can change in your company, the industry as a whole, what would that be? And given you just changed the name, you need something new. <laughs> oh, man. I'll go with industry as a whole. Yeah, I can't say name because we already did that. Industry as a whole, I, I honestly, I, I, I'm not particularly focused on any one person or any one argument, but I just, I just go like, I would love for us to get rid of, of some of the fights and the arguing about things like, oh, the best way to charge clients or the best oh approach God. to investments. Oh my goodness. Like the reality is we have way too few advisors for the number of people who need access to advice. In your country. And yes. I, look at, I look at some of these fights on Twitter and I'm just like, guys, gals, like if we could spend 10% of the energy that we spend kind of pretending to compete with each other on actually solving that much bigger problem of how do we get more people access to more advice, like that might be more of a solved problem by now. So that 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 would be my one wish for the industry yeah. as a whole. We are not actually doing that much competing with each other. We need to figure out how to dramatically expand our impact on the world because it's so necessary. 100%. Although I will say yet again, you have fewer per capita advisors than we do by a long shot. So America, yes, Canada, opposite. Anyway, uh, <laughs> second question. Uh, what's been the biggest challenge in the company to where it is today? In all candor, it's probably advisors who maybe, you know, we were just talking about like investment in technology, who probably don't understand that technology is an investment for them mm -hmm. with massive upside, and that it actually does cost a ton of money to build really great technology that works. When I, when I, I mean, just speaking bluntly, and I'm and I'm I'm not trying to offend anybody, but when I hear people go, oh, like, this is true, Lord. this is a problem. I've heard it from so many vendors. Yeah. Continue. Oh my lord! I like uh, I I they raise the price on my CRM, and I can get CRM for seven dollars a month cheaper if I switch to this other system. I just sit there and I go, oh my goodness! For like, a ten thousand dollar conversion. <laughs> CRM and how I don't think we know how to think about that the right way. Like, like, look, I we're nitrogen is definitely not perfect, but we've always been the best solution an advisor can get for what we do, and it's kind of like not even close. And people sometimes leave because they think that they can go just replicate it for cheaper, and then they come running back. They're like, "Oh, I tried like two or three other things, and it turns out that you're like 10x better than anything else that's out there." And that's because we invest like literally millions and millions and millions of dollars every single year into driving that advantage. But look, that's just life. We just grin and keep serving the advisor because we know that great technology combined with truly caring about your customer wins in the end. So like we know how the story ends. It just would be fun to kind of like fast forward to the end, right? You know what drives me nuts about this entire argument because I hear it all the time. And I've heard, I've even had friend vendors like send me emails they get from people like canceling $65 a month software is talking about lack of value. I mean, like just like, no, it's lack of use on your end, but but like uh -huh. it's the simple fact that this is an industry that is always bereft with advisors basically saying, you know, how do I demonstrate my value? Like, how do I show them that I'm worth it? They are so obsessed with, or at least at least talking about how do I demonstrate my value? Because I'm feeling almost offended when people say that they're not worth it, or if they, you know, I get fired because they don't think I'm worth it. Oh my goodness! And don't get let's get let's get let's be honest. There's a lot of advisors who aren't worth it. Let's just be true about this. Sure. And but the reality is, is that but then they go and treat their vendors the same way. And it's just like, don't get me wrong. You need to see value. What is you're paying for? But at yep. the same time to like literally, again, $7 cheaper. I, I can believe that that conversation actually happened because I've heard similar. It's just, it's, yeah. it's so strange that there's this mental disconnect between the way that they are worried about the world treating them and the way that they treat the world. It's just- That can be, that can be true. I mean, I, I so I had a, a customer comment yesterday, which I found amusing. And it was two sentences. 
The first one was, you have too many features and I don't have time to use them. And the second sentence was also not impressed with the level of training. And I just go, well, those two things are kind of at cross purposes with each other. Like, do you want to learn or do you not want to learn? And that's that's the thing. I we We have to, I love... The advisors, and frankly, it's the vast, vast, vast majority, and and we are so privileged to serve the so many of the ones who just have their heads screwed on straight, and they go, I, my whole job in life is serving my clients, and therefore I've got to invest in myself so that I can continually get better at how I serve my clients. When you have that mindset, all of a sudden that kind of objection just goes away; it's gone. You know, there are those of us out there who basically see learning as a journey that never ends. And there are those of us who think it ended after school finished. And unfortunately, (laughs) in between somewhere along the way. And yeah, that that to me is is just a farcical one. It's like, oh, no, there's too many features. And also you provide too much training. Okay, but you don't have to use every feature. You just need to understand what you want to use. Right. That now you want me to not train you on this and make you more frustrated. Like it's just, uh, it is what it is. It's a fun one sometimes. But like I said, we just always try to grin and keep just keep a, a long-term mindset about it because when you combine great technology with really caring about your customer, you win in the end. Like uh, it, it works out. Yeah, and I'll say at the end of the day, you're not gonna make everybody happy and it's oh. all about it's all about acceptable failure rates, right? Even, That's right? even Six Sigma, they still have to accept a certain number of failures. In the That's right. That's right. Members, so. All right, last question. What excites you the most about what it is you're working on and keeps you getting out of bed in the morning to fight the good fight? I mean, that's a great question. And I just can't answer it any better than, I mean, for crying out loud, we get to serve financial advisors. Like they do heroic work. A lot of times, whether it's Hollywood and how financial advisors get portrayed or something like that, I mean, seriously, like that's thinks a financial advisor is somebody who does drug money laundering, like, like in Ozark or something like that. I'm like, you could be a lot of things, but like a financial advisor would not have the cash to do to do drug money lottery. I don't think you understand how this works. But anyway, I digress. Like advisors are the people who are making it possible for families to like have their kids and their grandkids go to college. Financial yep. advisors are the people who are making it possible for people to retire with security and dignity without dependence on others. Financial advisors are enabling like incredible world-changing nonprofit giving that wouldn't have otherwise happened. I just, to have the chance to get up every morning and come to work on behalf of tens of thousands of financial advisors who are truly doing heroic work for their clients, I, to me, there's just no better job. And I, I love it. And that's really the, the, the truthful answer to that question. I, I often lament the, uh, the the Hollywood portrayal of this industry to being the Wolf of Wall Street equivalent and now the Ozark equivalent. And I think to myself, like, but in fairness, you know, I watched a lot of legal shows and those have very little to do with law. You never see people writing. That's, that's know, also true. Of contracts for God knows how long. And wow, yeah, you know, uh, that's a bigger... Shows. Yeah, that's a bigger commentary about Hollywood, but we'll just uh, we'll just move on. A lot more shootings in the average cop show than there is in real life. (laughs) So true. Exactly. So, Aaron, thank you so much, my friend, for taking the time. Great to catch up again. My pleasure. Thanks for having me on, Jason. My pleasure. So that was Aaron Klein of Nitrogen, and I hope you enjoyed that. As always, it's a great conversation with him. And uh, if you enjoyed what you heard today, please take the time to leave a positive review on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or wherever your podcast. And until next time, take care. This podcast was brought to you by Woodgate Financial, an award-winning financial planning firm catering to high net worth individuals and their families. To learn more, go to woodgate.com.
You can subscribe to this podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, and Google Play, or find more episodes at jasonperera.ca.